Yeah? All right, so I'm super excited about that. So pray about how uh, you might be able to participate with us in that, and uh, we will jump into that. Super, super pumped. All right, open up your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We're in Colossians chapter 3. This is a series that we've been doing uh, throughout the book of Colossians, and we call it Palette because of the fact that Paul keeps on uh, emphasizing this reality that above and beyond anything else in our world, in our life, that, the, that who Jesus is, the person of Christ, is our foundation. And that as opposed to any of the other false foundations or the weak foundations that we make to be our primary foundations in life, that all crumble and disappoint and fail, that, that Christ himself is actually the only sustainable, the only one who's able to uphold all the things within our life, not to mention our sin, not to mention our salvation, but in addition to that, each of the relationships we have, our marriage, our family, etc. And so in a couple weeks back, we, after talking about the person of Christ, we talked about how does that palette impact different parts of us. And so Pastor Carlos talked about Jesus and my spouse. Last week, we talked about Jesus and my empty ring finger, talking about the fact that those who are single are not individuals who need to be fixed or individuals that need to be, okay, well, you know, you're not really a whole person or really a part of the church. But one day, if you get married and start having kiddos, bam, that's like backstage pass to Christianity. No, that's not the biblical perspective. It's not what we see in the Bible. 1 Corinthians 7 is where we went to for that. This week, we are switching gears and going back into the, the family relationship and talking about Jesus and my crazy kids. This right here is my fourth crazy kid. I love him. This is Cohen. And Cohen right here is showing me what he does when he wants to get mom or myself to do what he wants. And he says, hold on a sec, Dad. Hold on. He says, hold on. Okay, look at me now. And he's, we, we've never, I mean, he's never watched this in, in his older siblings. We've never given in to this face, as difficult as it sometimes is. We've never done it. But for some way, shape or form, he's got it in his head that this is the way to manipulate my parents. If, you, if you're in here and you have, uh, if you have kids at home right now, uh, just go ahead and raise your hand. You're a parent and you have kids at home right now. Okay. How many of you are, are someone that is, uh, you don't have kids and you're at home uh, you're either a, a minor under 18 or you're an adult that, that is at home right now with, with mom or dad, okay? Okay, so we're talking to actually both groups. And let me just go ahead and start off by saying that there's going to be overgeneralizations that I'm going to make. When I'm talking about a family, um, oftentimes it's going to be, it's going to sound like I'm assuming that both you and your spouse are are together or you and your spouse are on the same page as far as your faith. That may not be the case. Um, and, if, and I want you just to contextualize what Paul is saying. Paul is also writing to a diverse uh, group of people who are from different vantage points. And so just read into this and you'll be able to see the implications. I'd also say this. If you're someone who doesn't have kids and you're like, well, this is so my week to just tune out. I want to challenge you with two realities. One is you may have a child one day. And two, God's perspective about anything even something that doesn't, isn't necessarily pertinent to you in the moment is pertinent because it's his perspective. Does that make sense? And so let's really dial in on that. If we want to get to the place of understanding how, do I, how does Jesus as my foundation impact the way that I parent my crazy kids, we have to come to a really abstract starting point, which is something called the kingdom. Jesus described the kingdom as this reality, and I just defined it in a just a a minimalistic way by saying the kingdom is the completed reality accomplished by Christ that is defined by the peace and leadership of God. When Jesus is talking about the way that we treat one another, he's dropping principles of a different reality than everyone else is living. It's like, yeah, in the Roman Empire, in, in Jewish culture, it's totally 
legit to act like this. But I'm talking about a different kingdom where, where I am the king. And in that reality, this is how we, we, we love people that don't like us. This is how we, we, we pour into people that sometimes seemingly don't, aren't receptive of that. This is how we, we, we operate within our, this new reality, this new humanity that we're a part of. And Jesus says that this kingdom is not yet completed. He's going to complete it at the end when he returns. But in the meantime, what we have as a people is this concept of that we, we hold on to what Jesus said when he says the kingdom is at hand. This thing that I, I've called you into, you're, you're fleshing this out now. You're living this out now. And you're starting to, the, the darkness that is the world, the darkness that is your work, the darkness that is your school, the darkness that is your home. If you're in Christ, you as someone who's building the kingdom there, you're bringing a torch that is Jesus into a dark place. And sometimes you do that alone. Now, this is important for us to understand that the kingdom, the kingdom, this concept is something that's at work at my home. This is something that's pertinent here. One, one commentary on Colossians said it this way, new life begins in the home. Christian wisdom and inst- instruction are not always put to the test in times of suffering, which require a heroic response. But in the everyday situations of life, like in the home, The real world is, according to Colossians, first of all, our husband or wife, our children or parents, our employees or chiefs. Only if and when we take this world seriously, may we perhaps be called to serve our Lord on a greater scale. One can do heroic battle in the public arena, but lose the war in the privacy of the home. In other words, how many of you really loved algebra in high school? Sick, sick, sick people. How many of you really couldn't stand it? Yeah. All right. I hated it. Here's why. The main reason why I hated algebra, outside of the fact that I just can't stand math, is that when I was in algebra class, I had Mrs. Yamada. And Mrs. Yamada was just like, I mean, she just, she killed us. But, But on top of that, she would explain a principle. This is how you do it. Here's how you pump in this formula, and it's going to produce this outcome. Bam, 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 bam. And I'm sitting there listening at this, not because I want to learn algebra, but because I want to be able to do my homework. And I'm lost. But she's explaining it, and it makes sense. And so I walk out of the class going, I got this. And I go home, and I open up my book, and what happens? How did she do it? I don't know. Why would you put letters and and numbers together? X and Ys and boop-a-da-ba-ba. This makes no sense. And I would, like, just bomb the paper. That this, this, and I bring it back and we correct it in class. It's like, you know, championing your futility and your failures. That, look how dumb I am. And we went through that and she, she would correct it. And again, as she's correcting it and she's explaining each problem, I'm like, well, that would have been good to know. Now I get it. Now that I got a D on the paper. That's how a lot of people approach and, and experience their Christianity. Come in here, man, and I'm like worshiping God, and I'm, I'm, I'm hearing what the Bible has to say, and I love it, man. This is, this is impacting me. This, I got this. Man, I'm taking on the world. Things are different now. Woo! Get in the parking lot, someone cuts you off, and you're like, are you serious? You get home, and all of a sudden, like, something happens stressful financially, or your boss calls, or, or your spouse says this, or your kids do that, and all of a sudden, or the dog, the dog does something. And then all of a sudden, everything that you thought you had that confidence, that peace that was once there, it's gone. And well, well, at least I'm going to come next weekend because then I can get it like rebooted. 
but starting to feel the futility of, is this my, is this my spiritual walk? I get it in here when Miss Yamada's teaching it. And I go home and I realize I, I don't have this thing mastered at all. In a large sense, the reason that we have scripture is to bring us back to the, our ultimate reality. Paul is writing things about parents and writing things about kids because we need to be reminded. We need to learn and because of the fact that the home is one of the most difficult places for us to experience the consistency we affirm in our heart, but have difficult time fleshing out an application. Have you ever noticed that someone you love, your spouse, boyfriend, girlfriend, are like super cool with everyone but you? Why is that? It's because you know them. <laughs> it's very difficult to consistently live out our faith sometimes when we're finding that these people know us better than anyone else and they've seen us fail and they know what it looks like but we're still called into this reality so paul starts off if you look at chapter three chapter three is all about this new humanity he's saying this is a new world for you it's a new if you're in jesus everything has changed now jesus is your foundation you interact with life differently you interact with life struggles differently because of Jesus. And then he gets down to implications of that with wives and husbands. How does all this new humanity that we just talked about impact wives and husbands? And then he gets into our passage today, verses 20 and 21. Let's take a look at those. Children, obey your parents in everything. Why? Why does he say? For it pleases the Lord. He doesn't say obey your parents in everything because they really are individuals that are trustworthy. Obey your parents and everything because your parents have got this nailed. They're better than you and smarter than you. He doesn't say that at all. He doesn't give a caveat or, or anything. He says, children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. Verse 21, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. And that word for fathers right there is the same uh, word in Hebrew for parents. So it's something that we could understand as really being imp implied to both sets, both husband and wife. But speaking first to children, if you're somebody that's, uh, you're under 18, man, this is directly at you. So we have some under 18 people here, junior hires, high schoolers, this is for you. But let's just say that you're over 18 and you're still living at home, this is for you. Let's say that you're older than 18, you're not living at home and uh, you're married and you have kids. This next section about children has some truths that you still need to own. And we're just going to go through this pretty quick. First off, Paul communicates this concept of giving dignity. In 21, he says, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. He's tapping into other things that he has said about kids, honoring your parents. In Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, he talks about not only obeying, this idea of honoring them. It's, it's communicating to your parents this dignity that every, all day long has been sucked out of them. Like, I remember, like, when I was growing up, wondering, why is my dad, like, so tired and grouchy when he gets home? Like, he did something, like, heavy lifting or something. My dad's not a construction worker. He works in an office at a church. That's, like, gotta be easy. And he comes home, and he's, like, tired and grouchy. I'm like, seriously, man, what is your deal? The whole day long, just like you, my dad had dignity taken from him. Judgments put upon him, just like you, no matter where you work. And then he came home to a wife and kids who did the same. And he's empty and he's depleted. One of the things that kingdom people, if you're building the kingdom as a kid in your house, is that you look at your parents and you do not, you're not saying, because you are worthy, because you have, you have given me respect, I will give you respect. Because you have given me honor, I will give you, because you've dignified me, I will give, no. Gospel kingdom building people say, I'm emulating Jesus who gave me 
stuff even when I didn't deserve it. And so I'm going to give my parents dignity, period, because that's who I am in Jesus, not because of who they are. Does that make sense? Secondly, find ways to express gratitude. Colossians 3.15 talks about this, that when the peace of Christ enters into you and God starts to transform you, you start to have this really funky output, which is gratitude. Christians should not be known primarily by the fact that we're angry and against everything, but the fact that we are crazy grateful. That we, we, we can find gratitude in places where other people can't. Have you ever seen like, I don't know if you've ever been to a beach where there's been a guy like with a metal detector. They look like the biggest weirdos in the world. You're like, dude, you're never going to find anything until, until they do. And then you're like, man, I wish I was a weirdo like you. What they're doing is they're mining something that everyone else walks by without any sense of treasure, and then all of a sudden they find something. That seems to be the picture we see of what a Christian does in someone else's life. They're saying, listen, I have every reason to disrespect you, mom or dad. I have every reason to be embittered against you, mom or dad. I don't think that you're right. I don't really feel loved by you by some of the decisions you're making. But as a follower of Jesus... I'm going to find something to be grateful for. Because you deserve it? Nope. Because that's what I do as a follower of Jesus. As a follower of Jesus, if you're a son or a daughter, we are all our sons or daughters. If you're a son or daughter as a follower of Jesus, you look at your parents and say, I've got, out of 10 things, I've got nine things that I just do not respect, appreciate, blah, blah, blah. But I'm going to find the one and I'm going to express it. I want to challenge you, if you, are, um, if you are still living at home, to do that. I want to challenge you, if you're not living at home and your parents are still alive today, make a phone call. Make a phone call and say, I want to tell you, this is one thing that you did that I really appreciate. And you're not, you know, front-loading that with a bunch of, but before I say what I appreciated, <laughs> you really botched this, this, and that. Just... just just communicate, express gratitude because that's who you are in Jesus. Thirdly, obey without the drama. When I was a junior high pastor, we had a bunch of students that were crazy, full of drama. This was back when Jake, Jake was in junior high. Now he's all grown up. But back then, there, there, it wasn't Jake, but there were other kids that were just super dramatic. And we used to tell them, like, and you remember, may have remembered this expression. We're like, look, look, listen, just save the drama for your mama, okay? Save the drama I mean, it could be like Confucius saying that. It's wise. Save the drama for your mama. Paul is arguing, no, no, no. Save your mama from the drama. You need to approach this with this reality of, I'm going to obey quickly, not because I want to. Not because it's my will being, my mom just gives me something that I want to jump on board with, but instead, I do not want to obey. I do not want to go along with this. I do not want to clean, whatever it is, but I'm going to choose to do this anyway. Why? Because I'm a follower of Jesus And apparently, when I obey my parents in everything, this actually brings him pleasure. This brings him glory. If you wanted to boil all this down, what this comes down to is, in other words, don't obey because of your parents' character or goodness, but because of your readiness to obey them and respect them, etc., is a picture of the gospel and Jesus' work in you. For it was Jesus who obeyed his Father when he said, not my will, but yours be done. You are emulating Jesus. You're not paying back good parents. You're just living as, a, as, a, as someone who's a kingdom builder in your world, and that world may be dark. He switches gears, and he jumps on over to the parents um, after talking to the kids, and the first thing that we need to understand in this is that he is a, he's already talked to who first. Before talking to the parents, who did he talk to? 
Children, let's read that again. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Talking to the kids first, and then the parents, fathers or parents, do not embitter your children, or they will become what? Discouraged. The first thing that we need to understand about what's happening in this passage is that Paul is dignifying the kids, and he's calling parents to dignify them. He's basically saying, did you see what I just did there? I didn't say, hey, make sure that your kids obey you in everything, because that pleases God. I didn't say that. I talked to your kids first, because I look at your kids maybe different than you look at your kids. First century Greek culture, you look at kids like property. They're not really a person until they're emancipated from your house or you decide to kill them. Until then, they're your property. And that is Greek culture. But this is a new humanity we're talking about. And I'm a part of a new kingdom, not the Greek kingdom, not the Roman kingdom, not the Jewish kingdom. I'm talking about the kingdom of God in Jesus as our king. And when he is our king, all of a sudden there's a new reality. These kids have intrinsic worth simply because they are created in God's image. Not one day, not when they become old enough to vote, not when they're old enough to have a wife or kids, not when one day when they're respectable, but now. Dignify them now. We asked uh, Life Bridgers to talk about some of their regrets as parents. Life Bridgers at our church are 55 plus. How many of you ha- have your, your empty nesters? The kids, they were in the house, but boo, they're gone now. You have, you have no kids living at home. Look at this, smiling faces. Okay, great. All right. <laughs> some, there's no, some of them are like, I just wish they were back. And others are like, no, praise the Lord, get on. We asked the life bridgers to communicate some of their perspectives looking back. And one, some, one of the things that one person said is, I criticized my kids too much and I didn't give them enough praise. I mean, is it possible to, to praise your kids too much? Well, sometimes. Like if your kid's like doing something awful and you're like, right on, you're fantastic. <laughs> you cussed your mom out? Way to go. I wouldn't have used those words, but you did so colorfully. No, we don't, you know, we're not just like praise, praise, praise. But a huge deficiency that we have is the concept of, of, of recognizing that that's not a need that they have. That, that bringing dignity to them and honor to them is, is something that, that God has called us to do. Just, and I'm not going to belabor this point because I think this is a pretty easy given. We're created in the image of God and so we need to do that. But how do you talk about your kids to other people? On social media, how do you reflect some of your difficulties as a parent? Are you communicating in those settings about talking about your kids that's absent from dignity? Are you, are you putting things on social media that, that, that calls your kids out for being, you know, having something, I don't know, crazy about them or something? Like that. Are you doing things like this? <laughs> are you doing things where you're actually, ste- but, but seriously, consider, when you're talking about your kids to someone else, Is there dignity there or something else? We need to dignify them. Secondly, not only dignify them, but we need to model truth. Paul makes it very clear that the primary place, as we already said, the primary place of impact in a kid's life spiritually is not the church. If you look at the book of Proverbs, it's a father communicating this reality to a son. The primary place of spiritual development is you at home. And the church enhances that. But you need to be the one who's modeling the truth. Um, again, Life Bridgers talked about this when they said, I wish I, could have, I wish I would have enforced respect for their mother more. Respect for one's mother transfers to respect for one's spouse. 
I would have given them a chance to fail. I, heard, I saw this on several different things coming from LifeBridgers. I wish I would have just given them an opportunity to fail so that they could have seen what it was like to be able to, to walk out of that failure. Someone else put it similarly. I intervened too much, which resulted in my child not suffering natural consequences for their actions, which then produced a lack of responsibility. I wish I would have spent more relaxed time with our children, talking to them, listening to them, reading Bible stories and praying with them. I wish I would have spent more time praying with my kids. You know, Paul's talking to a group of parents and he's doing a corrective work of saying, this is what happens when the gospel starts ricocheting around in your heart. Everything I just said to you in, in, this, in this letter is something that starts happening in you. And so let's just go up a couple verses to verses 5 through 11. And let's just readdress this as since at the bottom of that list, he's, he's speaking specifically to parents and to kids. Let's put parents in that regard. Parents, mom, dad, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now... Now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Parents, rid yourself of anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other, since you've taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcision, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. He's communicating to parents that there's a radical difference from the world around you because you're part of the new humanity. You're the primary educator about bigotry and racism and how off that is from, a, from the new humanity's perspective. You're the primary example of that rage doesn't work. That gossiping about someone else behind their back isn't congruent with the kingdom. You're the primary example. And as I'm saying that, you might be feeling crazy guilty right now because you're like you know what? Maybe it's just us. Maybe it's just my family and we're just, we're struggling. But I bet you every single one of these other families in this room are super amazing. Like they're just crazy good Christian families, especially the pastor's families. They're probably like perfect. They drop like a hammer on their foot or something. They probably just cuss out a Bible verse or something. (laughs) They have a terrible day. They start singing hymns. I don't know, something, but it's not what we experience at our house. At our house, it's much different than that. And this is good for those type of special, super spiritual people. But for us, we have real struggles. We have real darkness. And we, don't, we have really no idea how to counterbalance that. Because we, we didn't have a, a legacy handed to us to show us what this is supposed to look like. And for you, I want to just encourage you to... Paul is talking to a group of people just like that. He's not saying, let me just tell you everything you've already mastered. He's saying, let me tell you everything that the new humanity means. Jesus is working in you that he's mastering in you. He's completing in you. Not that it's completed already. My dad, my dad grew up in a family where the only spiritual light in the whole house was my grandma Hilda. And she was a pretty tough woman. She was the primary disciplinarian. My grandpa didn't give a rip about church or Jesus or anything. He, didn't, he never wanted to come to church. And he cussed my dad out on a daily basis. My dad never experienced love from his dad and he felt and he had to interpret love through his mother because he didn't it wasn't something that was um this this warmth there was none of that growing up 
He had zero Christian example at home from his dad. So being a Christian dad or a godly dad was foreign to him. And then he marries my mom. My mom's only example at home was alcoholism and abuse, verbal abuse. And the show of, we got to make sure that no one knows about how messed up things are in our house. And so you have these two people who, have, who don't have a godly example getting married. And then all of a sudden, they have me. And now what do they do? They're followers of Jesus. They're, they're, this stuff is happening in their heart. But they have no blueprint of what this looks like from their own experience to say, this is how I can flesh it out in my life. This is how I can live this out. Because I saw my dad do this. I saw my mom do this. And yet... And yet, the gospel was at work in them. And I caught it. My siblings, we caught it. I don't remember one time my dad sitting down with a Bible with me and saying, son, this is how you study the Bible. That didn't happen. My dad was totally insecure about how to do that because he didn't have that as an example. But what he did start seeing is that there was a difference in who he was. I had a chance to catch from my parents them arguing. And watching what took place between two people, part of the new humanity, who fought and argued and then had a chance to come out of that with forgiveness and love and grace for one another. I had a chance to watch it when my parents flipped out over the top with us as kids. And my dad emulated everything in his dad minus the profanity at me, but still did enough dings in the words that he used that sent me to my room slamming the door and crying myself to sleep until my dad would knock on the door 15, 20 minutes later and sit down next to my bed and say, son, that, what you just saw, is everything I'm trying to fight in here, in me. That's Everett McFadden coming out and I hate when that happens because that's not the person God is making me into. And I need to ask your forgiveness. My dad in his failure gave me the best gift he could ever give me as a parent in that moment right there. My parents never sat down with me with the Bible, but I watched them read their Bibles. I watched as my mom would, would put all of us kids in the, this beat-up uh, Dodge caravan and bring us to church, even though it was World War III, getting just clothes on our bodies to get into the car to get to the church. I watched as my parents did that each and every part of the way, and that gave me the opportunity to say, that's my legacy. My dad didn't have any of that, and look what he did to let Jesus transform him. And so now, now with Micah, I'm trying to figure out the same things. Like Micah and I, we're, I, 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 I felt, Micah's 14 years old. I want, to start, I want to start teaching him how to study God's word. And so I'm like, Micah, let's read through the Bible, the New Testament. Let's read through the New Testament in one year. Okay. And, and I know Pastor Jason is like, he's doing this like um, soap thing where it's like a way of studying scripture. He taught you that, right? Yeah. You, which, it's like journaling and stuff, right? Yeah. Like, do you want to you want to do that? Like, just on the book of Mark? Let's just you know do the soap thing on the book of Mark. All right. All right. I, Dad, I, I hate journaling. Yeah, I hate journaling too. Okay. What you know how like when you're playing a video game and you go into a room or some like chamber and you have to remember a couple details and you walk out and you have a couple of those details in mind that helps you throughout the rest of the game? Yeah. What if we just do that? What if we like, we're reading through Mark and we read through the same sections of scripture and in Mark, we'll just like make a couple observations just so we don't forget. And then when we get to the end of Mark, we'll like go out for breakfast and we'll just like talk about some stuff that we saw Jesus do in this book. 
okay, I can do that. All right. I still hate journaling. And even writing three sentences is like painful. I'm like, oh, I don't want to do. But it's something that all of a sudden I'm seeing God use it in my life and in my son's life. Model truth. No matter where you came from, do not feel guilty about your backdrop or what's happened up to this point. Instead say, okay, if I've got zero example for my backdrop, I can build on that and let Christ transform this space. Model truth. Not only model truth and dignify them, but also model grace. Look at verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. These are, those are, that's a tough list for anyone. That's why Paul is reminding us that that's what it looks like. That as parents, that we need to be that type of person. Parents can be so exacting, so demanding, or so severe that they create within their children the feeling that it is impossible for them to please. The word athimeo, which, which is the word that Paul uses right there, discouraged. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become athimeo, discouraged. From my findings, that was, that's the only time that word is used. It's this idea of losing heart. It has the idea of lo- well, losing heart and suggests going about in a listless, moody, sullen frame of mind. It's a type of frame of mind where someone has been beat down verbally so much by a parent to try to get them to get the point. They're just like, fine, fine, whatever, whatever. I do that with select few of my kids, the kids that are most like me. I have the most difficult time parenting kids that I see making the same mistakes or the roots of the mistakes that I have within my own persona. And I just lean in hard on those things and I acting mayo them. I, I ruin that opportunity by thinking if I just add to the intensity, they're going to get the point. And they never have once said, wait, hold on a second, dad. You can ra- lower the volume. I totally understand what you're saying. This makes perfect sense. You're so wise. Not once. Every time, it has the exact opposite effect. We need to be the type of person who is stern, but with grace. Um, Life Bridgers said this, I was too stern. I didn't listen well enough, and I needed to spend more time with them. I often was angry when trying to talk rather than just being patient. I was often worried and upset, so I tried to manipulate and control behavior with anger. I also withheld love if they didn't do what I wanted. Now, for anyone who doesn't have kids, you might look up at that and say, man, that is just a terrible person. Until you have kids. And all of a sudden, you start seeing how there's aspects of that manipulative nature out of a heart of love. I'm going to manipulate you into doing the right thing. I'm going to be brutal and harsh and loveless with you in order for you to do the... And it's, it's from hell. It is rotten. Which is why this person had the flip side of what they wanted to say at the end. They said, instead, I wish I would have cast my cares to God pray for my child and against the forces behind the bad behavior and express unconditional love. See, grace is not a lack of discipline. It's discipline with love. Um, Paul really uh, tacked on to the idea of this uh, pedagogos versus the concept of a loving father. In Greek culture, the pedagogos was, was a noble slave who was the guardian over your kids, and he had a rod. And if your kids got out of line, if your kids weren't doing their homework, If your kids were walking in a wrong way, each and every time. And so these guys were often depicted in Greek culture as always having a rod in their hand or being harsh and dumb versus a loving father, which was generally more kind to their kids. Paul tacks onto this because Paul didn't have kids, but he looked at the church as his kid. And when he's talking to a, a church that was hard to parent, the Corinthian church, he uses this metaphor by saying this. 
Even if you had 10,000 guardians, 10,000 pedagogos in, in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. What do you prefer? Shall I come to you with a rod of discipline? Or shall I come in love and with a gentle spirit? His communication is, dads, moms, your role is to discipline, which is saying no, which is giving structure, which is giving boundary, but it is never, ever divorced from grace and love. And the, and the, the sentiment that at the end of the day, your kids know that underneath any type of what you were bringing to the table, they're experiencing love. As a father, uh, David Garland said, Paul expected obedience, but he believed that a father's discipline should be tempered by love, compassion, kindness, and patience. Model grace. Not your own, not your parents, but Jesus's. Finally, model forgiveness. If you take a look at 13 and 14, he's, uh, yeah, 13 and 14 of chapter 3, he says this. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them together. What I want you to do is this. I want you to find a way to forgive today. This is, totally sounds like a Pastor Dave central truth. <laughs> but find a way to forgive today. Today. Parents, if you've got stuff between you and your kids, forgive them today. Parents, everyone, if you have something against your parents, make a phone call today and ask for forgiveness. Summing this up. In short, model the love of our Heavenly Father. See your kids through His eyes. Give them the gift of a parent who emulates God. And when you fail, and you will fail, when you fail, give them the gift of a parent who seeks forgiveness both from God and from them. Be that type of person. I want to challenge you as parents. This, this whole thing of parenting is difficult. Andy Stanley, he said that it's so difficult for him, he has to be reminded every day. And so what he does is he puts two index cards in his uh, closet. And the first index card re relates to his kids. He says, with my kids. And he reads this every day when he's figuring out what he's going to wear. Live today in such a way that kids will want to come back as adults. That, that after they've left the house and moved on and moved out, that, that, that you, you have created such a, a culture within your house that they have a desire to come back home. The memories that you've built, the, the underlying love that you have, that they'll have that. And then secondly, and, and maybe even more importantly, with your spouse, live today in such a way that we will actually like each other when the kids are gone. You see, kids are a wonderful addition to a family, but you were a family before you had kids. And you'll be a family after they're gone. Make sure you're living each day with the type of perspective that you're not going to just love each other, but you're going to like each other after they're gone. This concept of the kingdom this idea that we are entering into darkness with this bright stuff is difficult. And if you're thinking that it's impossible, you're absolutely right, which is why we need Jesus. We need to pray to him. And whenever Jesus talked about the kingdom and, and this, this reality that we embody now, he called us to prayer. And he said, and when we pray, we're supposed to pray a certain way. And it's the Lord's prayer. And so we're going to close today in the Lord's prayer. So if you could stand up and if you could say this with me, and we're going to get to the point uh, or a point at the beginning where I'm going to stop you just for a moment and we'll finish off the rest of it. But Jesus, when talking to his disciples about the kingdom and the reality of what they were undertaking, he called them to pray in this way. This then is how you should pray. Say it with me. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done 
Your will be done in the reality of your world right now. Your will be done in the dark spots of your home right now. Your will be done in spite of the example given to you by your parents. Your will be done even if you're the only one in your house following his will. Your will be done. Let's continue on. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And the doxology at the end. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Amen. Let's go live it out. You are dismissed.